Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like I'm Five, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. We are your hosts, I'm Tim. And I'm Kevin. Today we're talking about mouthwash and the question of why it is that dentists always advise to use floss in addition to brushing your teeth, of course, um, but it's rare to find a dentist who recommends using mouthwash. Uh, does mouthwash make a difference? That's so true. You're right. Uh, there's actually different types of mouthwashes for different needs. So the one most popular is something called a fluoride mouthwash, which gives you some extra cavity protection. But there's also exists something called anti-gingivitis mouthwash, which helps to kill even more germs in your mouth than brushing or flossing alone. Uh, there's even something called whitening mouthwash, which are typically peroxide-based. And then, of course, they all make your breath fresh, too. So you mentioned cavity project- protection, uh, and that's another related question that comes up a lot, which is, can or can you not rebuild or strengthen your tooth enamel? Because a lot of the toothpastes out there, they, um, they talk about restoring your enamel, yet, uh, you know, how does enamel actually get restored? That is a great question. So enamel does not regenerate uh, in that once your teeth have basically fully developed, they have all the enamel they will ever have. That being said, however, fluoride binds into your enamel, rebuilding every mild wear and tear and making it stronger. So damaged enamel can be quote unquote restored with fluoride. It basically fills the place of a small chemical group called a hydroxyl in the enamel compound that is displaced when things like bacteria produce that lactic acid from, you know, metabolizing sugar and stuff. Ah, so the key word is restore. It helps to reestablish the structural integrity of degraded enamel, but it doesn't create new enamel. Exactly, exactly. So digging in a bit more, as bacteria eats sugar, they produce some acid that dissolves your enamel. And fluoride binds to basically the byproducts of that reaction, creating a new compound that's reincorporated chemically into the enamel. But again, that only works as the enamel is being dissolved. So once it's gone, if you didn't fix it, then it kind of can't be fixed. So it does rebuild enamel, but, you know, slowly and it's limited. Uh, But it does make your teeth stronger. So the vast majority of toothpaste days have fluoride in it. And that's also why we have fluoride in our water supplies. Uh, which they call fluoridation. Didn't the Nazis invent fluoridation? Oh, well, that's no, no, that's a myth. The first deliberate fluoridation actually began in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Now, why is alcohol listed in mouthwash as an inactive ingredient? Uh, You know, if it's inactive, why would you even need it? (laughs) Uh, That's a funny one. Uh, Well, it comes down to the FDA. The FDA, they require that any over-the-counter drugs be labeled with an active ingredient section that lists the actual drug ingredients in the product. So in a fluoride mouthwash, for example, the fluoride does some magic chemistry stuff with your teeth to make them more resistant to decay. It actually stays in your body and does something, right? The alcohol, however, in mouthwash is important because it cleans your mouth, but then you spit it out. So the intended use of the alcohol is not to absorb it and have it do something to your body. The intended use is 
for it to clean your mouth and kill bacteria. Then you spit it out and it's gone. So because the FDA does not consider alcohol to be a quote-unquote drug in the case of mouthwash, it is not listed as an active ingredient. But that doesn't mean it doesn't do anything. It just means that it, what it does is not considered to be worthy of designation as an active drug in this case. I see. While we're on the topic of alcohol, we might as well touch on what the difference is between the alcohol we drink and the alcohol we use as mouthwash. Is there a difference? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The alcohol we drink is ethanol. Uh, and the same stuff is used in mouthwash because you might accidentally drink it and they kind of don't want people to get poisoned. So for uses where people won't be drinking it, uh, ethanol can be denatured by adding chemicals that you know make it either taste really bad or beta cilia are flat out poisonous. This makes sure people you know definitely don't drink it uh, so that it doesn't need to be you know taxed. There's other common chemicals referred to as alcohol, such as the isopropyl alcohol used as a disinfectant uh, or the methanol used in you know, race car engines. You definitely don't want to drink these because they are quite poisonous. Uh, that's right. We did an episode on that uh, isopropyl alcohol for sanitizing purposes a while back, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, that was the one about why is 99% alcohol um, uh, not as effective as, some, as a less concentrated version, like 70%. I see. Now, when you start taking mouthwash, it's that you get this burning sen sensation in your mouth, uh, but it, it starts off kind of mild and then it gets suddenly into a more burning sensation. What causes that transition? Yeah, so the alcohol has to make its way through and mix with the saliva that lines around the inside of your mouth. And the burning sensation is because alcohol, you know, it makes your heat receptors more sensitive to heat. So that's how you get that burning sensation at a much lower temperature than you normally would. I see. Now, people didn't always use mouthwash though, right? When was it actually invented? Ah, ah, history. The first known references to mouth rinsing is actually in the Indian alternative medicine uh, of Ayurveda. Um, they used it for treatment of gingivitis, actually. Now, there's also references in the Greek and Roman periods of people, you know, using mouth rinsing following mechanical cleansing uh, became more common amongst the upper classes. Uh, and Hippocrates uh, recommended actually a mixture of salt, uh, alum, and vinegar to do for your mouth rinsing. And uh, just to finish up the history lesson as we close here, uh, where does the word Listerine come from? Ooh, that's a great story then with. So it was the English doc English doctor Joseph Lister who famously pioneered uh, antiseptic surgery, drastically reducing the rates of post-surgical infection. Now, Lister's work inspired a uh, St. Louis-based doctor called Joseph Lawrence, and he developed an alcohol-based formula for a surgical antiseptic. And now Lawrence named his antiseptic Listerine in honor of Lister. Uh, this was all the way back in 1879. Interesting. But it didn't take off commercially until the bad breath marketing campaign, as I recall reading. I think it was in the Freakonomics book. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. that is right, actually. Uh, it was initially sold as this powerful surgical antiseptic. Uh, and then in distilled form, actually as both a floor cleaner and a cure for gonorrhea. 
but it wasn't a runaway success until the 1920s. That's when, as you say, they changed the marketing and pitched it as a solution for something called chronic halitosis. What's that? Yeah, chronic halitosis. You know, at the time, it was an obscure medical term for basically bad breath. And it was Listerine's new marketing ads that featured, you know, young women and men eager for marriage, but turned off, you know, by their mate's rotten breath. Uh, until that time, bad breath was not really conventionally considered such a catastrophe. But Listerine came along and changed all of that. So as the advertising scholar James B. Twitchell writes, Listerine did not make mouthwash as much as it made halitosis. Uh, in just seven years, that company's revenues rose from $100,000 to you know, more than $8 million. So it was a marketing success. Well, that's a great case study to end with. Thank you. Did you learn something new? If you did, send us an email. We are at eli5thepodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, especially when you've got suggestions on future topics and feedback for us as to how we can make this show better. Uh, as always, thank you to r slash explain like I'm five on Reddit. And we will see you all next week.